Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Localization Fireside Chat podcast and YouTube channel. I am Robin Ayub, the founder of this platform. And those who aren't familiar with me, it's a pleasure to meet you. And you can find out a little bit more about me on LinkedIn. If you want to look me up, check out my profile. And um, also today, I am very excited. And we have a very exciting discussion waiting for you. Um, and I'm honored to be joined by a special guest today, Susan Amarino, the current president of ALC. That's the Association of Language Companies. Welcome to the show, uh, Susan. Glad to have you with us. And I can't wait to dive into our conversation. I have a coffee with me ready. And welcome to the show. The microphone is yours if you don't mind introducing yourself. Good morning, Robin. Thank you so much for having me this morning. I am excited to share this time with you and also all the people that follow you. This is a wonderful opportunity. And don't worry, I have my cup of coffee too. <laughs> We're ready to go. Excellent. I am so uh, psyched about this one. I have been waiting to speak to you for a while and we have a lot of ground to cover. And at the same time, I hope uh, everybody finds this um, uh, this episode exciting as as the indication have been. And I'm glad to report that our uh, viewership is going through the roof for a brand new channel that only started in February. Um, we're averaging uh, close to right now we're about twenty thousand views on YouTube. And for a localization uh, topic, that is really un un unreal because uh, we're not a we, you know I mean we're not. That exciting of a topic. Let's put it this way for the rest for the rest of the world, but for us it is, and it is an exciting it is an exciting topic for the localization industry. But when you throw a YouTube channel out there or a podcast, you're in with you know the rest of the uh, the rest of the internet uh, weed that you're trying to find your way through this. But happy to report uh, we're fast growing on LinkedIn. I think we're the fourth fastest growing page on LinkedIn right now. And we're um, we're making it on YouTube, which is great. And we're also available on all your favorite podcast uh, channels that you like to listen. If somebody listens wants to listen to audio, we're on all of them. So, and now we just added our TikTok channel. Just came out uh, this week as well. So, you wow! Hey, congratulations, Sue. This is <laughs> fabulous, and I do think we're exciting. I think we're really exciting to the rest of the world as well. I just think they're starting to get. Just Tip of the icebergs learning about us, and boy, are they having fun with us. Absolutely. And that's the culture. Educate and make this a fun topic. It doesn't need Absolutely. to be Absolutely. So yeah. before we started, I, I was telling you like how I started in the industry, and I, and I keep telling everybody who comes on this channel, everybody's got a story in this industry. That's what I, that's yeah. what I noticed. Yeah, so so tell me your story. How did you get into the industry? Well, oh, I, said, this, I know. I, I'm a new I'm a new and a unique person in this regard, no doubt. So back in the day, yeah, it's been a long time. I don't want to say my age. So, you know, I'll say the years roughly. Uh, some 30 years ago, I uh, was traveling with a group called Up With People. And we would travel around the world and put on a two-hour musical show. For every hour of show, we would do two hours of, co of community service in each community that we visited. We had five international casts, each consisting of 24, 25 different countries and 150 different cast members. So we were guaranteed when we would travel two different continents. And I ended up doing this for five years. So the first two and a half years, I would go out ahead of the cast and 
set up the town, if you will, meet with Rotary, meet with the press, make sure we had enough room for our 22 tons of staging equipment, make sure the sound is working, all these different kinds of things and training people who may or may not speak English on how to present about up with people to the community to find, well, in Canada, it'd be known as a billet, but in the U.S., it was known as a host family. And so we had to find our meals, everything for the cast when they would come and sell out the shows. So um, the second two and a half years, I was with the cast. So we were in a different town every three to five days. And yes, I lived out of a suitcase for five years. So when I left the road, I said, my gosh, I have to have language and culture around me. What? This is crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was working as a loan processor. and I was like, this, this isn't cutting it. I need my language and culture. Where am I going to find it? I brought out the phone book, started bumming through the phone book and found a language company. Uh, back in the day, it was called Sykes. They no longer exist. They were bought out by SDL. Um, but S Sykes uh, is where I had my first introduction to project management. And that's the way that I came into the industry. Wow, exciting. You know, you go from doing something that you, at the time, you had a lot of passion to and for, and you've been involved in it like so 100%, and you yes. put your heart and soul into it. And then yes. you discover something else that yeah. you spend a lot of years, a lot of time uh, developing, and I understand you own your own uh, uh, language company now. The it's true. Legal services as well. You know, you know what I noticed about our industry. Most people have like two, three jobs. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just at awe how much passion there is for the industry. Like somebody was asking me one time, or I hear these guys talking about, you know, uh, the best job you can have is a job that you would do for free. So if, if somebody was to, you know, want to be a photographer or want to be a whatever you, you want to be in life, you know, would ask yourself a question. Could you do this job for free if nobody paid you for it? That's how much passion you want to measure. And Absolutely. I, I met is the same thing in our localization. Yeah. Absolutely. There are so many of us that are like this, right? I mean, you're. You're putting that right on me because I have several different jobs too. I am involved with a lot of different things. Yes, I have my company, but also with my company, I'm busy with ALC and I'm also busy with ASTM. So I've got a lot going on too and a lot more going on, you know, also. So yeah, it's great. I mean, who doesn't enjoy culture? So you know what? And it's, and it's such a fascinating subject. I mean, when we talk about languages, um, and it, it keeps grabbing people's attention. Like everywhere you go, you come across another language. And, you know, the fascination us as a human is, A, we want to understand. And, B, you know, after you understand, you say, wow, that sounds lovely. I want to learn it. Italian, Spanish, whatever it is. And so um, the ability to learn and the, that opportunity to learn, not just the ability, the opportunity to learn, because today it's a lot more available than it was 20 years ago with the you know, the proliferation of the communication channels, internet, et cetera, made it a lot more available to us. So yeah, I have three three things I want you to explain to me and the, our audience. ALC, if you can, if you don't mind describing ALC, and then we'll, di we'll dive into your own company and the uh, standard uh, uh, committee that you're on. Uh, I'd love to understand a little bit more about that one too. Oh, this sounds wonderful. I look forward to it. Um, yes, the Association of Language Companies, again, passionate about the association. Um, this association started in 2001. Nine people came together. Um, we were at an event and we met together and said, 
boy, are we really, we would like to be able to talk with each other openly so that we can help to strengthen our businesses. We've got different focuses than maybe a translator or an interpreter or somebody else, a captioner, whoever it may be in the industry, because we're running companies. We're having human resources situations. We need to figure out marketing. We need to figure out sales. We need to make sure we're having KPIs and, you know, how are we making sure that we're able to measure and what are we measuring and what are we using to measure them? And so there were several issues that were coming up that we were wanting to learn from each other. And we found out that we all had that same hunger. And so that's when we decided to sprawl out on our own and create the Association of Language Companies. And we've been going on. This is going to be, well, it's actually technically our 21st anniversary. Um, we're having our event in Portland, Oregon, rep representing our 20-year, because that's where we were born, was in Portland. Um, Bill Graper was uh, very kind to host us, and unfortunately, we don't no longer have him. Um, we lost him to, uh, you know, he, he died several years ago, which is unfortunate for us, but um, still a very, he left his footprint on the entire association and on the industry. So we're saying it's our 20th because of COVID. We couldn't have our anniversary, um, but we're going to have it this year. So I hope everybody will come out and join us. So how big is ALC in terms of numbers uh, of members? For instance, how many members you would have member company in the U.S.? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a funny question because it's not necessarily representative of the number of people that we have because some companies may have more people that are represented. You don't have the same issue in the so, Canadian industry. Oh, so there you go. So there you go. Yeah. We're, we're right around a couple hundred uh, company members and then you've got, you know, the people on top of that. So um, we are all over the world. We're representing everywhere um, from Europe to Asia to Australia, uh, UAE. I mean, we're everywhere. So um, we've got... I like, I like the fact that you mentioned that you help companies figure out how to run their business and, you know, uh, and the various categories mm -hmm. of, of running a business like, you know, financials, IT, uh, metrics, etc. And people, uh, so tell me, how did you cross or how did you able, were able to convince your members to cross that chasm, you know, looking at their colleagues in the, um, in the association, mm -hmm. start looking at them as a competitor and start looking at them as a, um, you know, somebody that they need to cooperate with or they need to collaborate with in order for us to figure out collectively how to solve business issues. How did you, I mean, did you come across that? And if that was a problem, how did you solve it? You know, it hasn't been. Um, it's been actually very refreshing. And I think this is what also is making the association so unique. Because, like I said, that small group of founders, we wanted to share. We wanted to learn. We wanted to help each other because when we help each other, we help the industry. And when you help the industry, it helps everybody. So the end result, yeah, maybe it's a certain type of a person. Maybe the ALC isn't for everybody. But that is not what I've experienced. My experience has been that company members are absolutely hungry to have these kinds of conversations. And it's so refreshing that when I can reach out to somebody in Canada and say, oh my gosh, Robin, you know, we've got XYZ happening. Like we have worker classification that becomes an, an issue in the United States. Is that something you're experiencing too? 
tell me a little bit about how you handle it and what you're seeing in, in your government. And then I can maybe see if that's something that I'm doing here. And maybe we help each other, even across borders. So there's so much that's going uh, on in those conversations. We have an internal uh, conversation communication channel that we have with ALC. That thing goes bonkers every day because so many times we're relying on each other. You know, hearing you say this, I just identified an opportunity for more collaboration together. I uh, feel like you should be attending our um, our meetings in, uh, well, at least one meeting uh, at our Canadian Language Industry Association because I'd love to give your view to our board of directors in terms of, you know, you know, stop looking at each other as competitors. I keep, I've been saying this for three years as a president and start mm-hmm. looking at each other as, you know, uh, partners. Right. We need to figure out, there's many challenges in front of us as an industry. And I, yeah, everybody goes along and do what they think is right, but collaboratively, collectively together, try to solve right. issues are a lot more powerful than, and we can yeah. solve them quickly, quicker than, you know, taking our good old time as a, as a company, as a singular company and trying to figure things out. There's a lot of learning. I feel like they're hitting, hidden in a certain corners of our industry that you bring them out to the light and people can take advantage of, you know, I'm, you know, I mean, like everybody else, you know, you member many associations. So one of the associations I was a member of, you know, they, they pride themselves on doing something creative. They solve the big problem for a customer or technology, whatever it is. And they write a white paper about it and they share it with everybody. I find like, you know, a lot of our industry and that's self-criticism, I guess, a lot of, a lot of companies in our industry that want to keep that a secret because it may give them a bit of an advantage over somebody else on some deal that they're cooking. And I'm thinking like, there's a lot of business out there to go around. You should not be worried about this one. You should be aware of how to become more efficient, how to collectively advance the industry, push it to the next level. Like, I don't want to say we're not competitors because we are. We are absolutely competitors. Where it matters though. But the thing is, is that we also are colleagues and friends and we really Look, if I'm going to lose a, a bid to somebody, I want it to be one of these people because I know they're going to give quality um, results, whether it's translation, interpreting, training, schools, whatever it is, they're going to get quality. And that matters to me because at the end of the day, we want people to have a good experience with the language industry. Because right. if they have a bad experience, it, it hurts everybody. Exactly. Yeah. So this is where I believe that people, when they come to the association or where they've had some sort of an interaction with one of our members, they see that they're getting that kind of a help and that there's a whole wide world of people that are other uh, minds, other ideas, creative ideas. Um, I can say, Robin, I've got XYZ problem in HR. And you're like, oh, Susan, I had that problem. And don't do XYZ because it's a waste of time. But do ABC. This will really take mm-hmm. you to other. And that just that I mean, time is money for us, right? right. As, as company owners, it's so important. And now I've learned from you. You've given me some resources. And now I can go learn for myself. So Excellent. I think that's why you're seeing so many people come to the ALC is yeah. because they've experienced it and they're like, wow, I want to pay that back. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you have a very good point is that you're right. You know, we are going to be competing for business and otherwise it will not be a free market. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, when you build the confidence in the people that you're working with, uh, your colleagues, your friends, even if you lose to them, that's mm-hmm. good news. That's not a bad news anymore. Mm-hmm. Because 
because you know, and I and I agree 100% with you, that if you are confident that this individual or this company is going to deliver good results for this customer, right. uh, then you feel better about it. You feel positive about it. That's right. So taking me, you know, I mean, for us, uh, um, for our audience who are global, obviously, and they're not necessarily all from the United States, um, for Canadian and the global audience, um, tell us a little bit about the U.S. market now. What's your view on the market in uh, the U.S.? Uh, obviously, you work in the U.S. You represent a Canadian. You represent a U.S. association. What is the status? How do you see the economy? How do you see the localization industry faring out uh, so far in 2023 uh, in the U.S.? Uh, the language industry is doing well. <laughs> um, the language industry is going to continue to do well. People are really now really seeing language access as something they need to think of first. And it used to be we were that afterthought. So I'm really seeing the trend of we're, we're being incorporated much earlier and we are much more front of mind. We are in the U.S. specifically, we do have immigrants, as do a lot of other countries, and that is also impacting the language uh, access, making sure that language access, we are working very, very hard with our advocacy. This is also something we do and are very passionate. In fact, this is one of my big passions is advocacy with, um, with ALC, and this is something that's been really important, having language access from medical necessity, having it in education, having it in our courts. It's everywhere. And now the government is really seeing this more and more and more. We're even seeing some things now coming in about telehealth. So it's it's great to see the optimism is absolutely here. You don't want to miss out on this because it's soaring and we're going to continue to go up. So um, yeah, language access is here and it's front of mind. So I'm glad to hear language access because I think sometimes in our, uh, for those countries, including Canada, Switzerland, et cetera, where you have policies, uh, government policies dictating some, not all, mm -hmm. some of the language uh, um, uh, uh, translation, if you will, or localization. In the US, it is, um, it's a little bit more, I want to say it is, you know, it's a little less legislated and it's more economically driven. Am I correct by characterizing it this way? Um, yes, I would say that's true. Um, we were working on it though. We are working on having more standards and consistency for our own industry. So that is happening, but the government being more aware of us, I mean, during COVID, you know, it was not unusual that you would see an ASL or an American Sign Language interpreter standing beside a governor or a mayor. And that also, they are in our language industry, right? We are front of mind. People are seeing us on every level, um, on every component, and it matters. So how does, in, in the U.S., like from a legislative, uh, legislative perspective, how does federal government and state government and local government work all together to enable this? And, 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 and is it where, where, what is your focus would be? Is it on a state level or federal level or in order for you to impact the way yes. uh, advocacy is going right now? So Yes, 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 yes. That is well, not a crazy no. answer. <laughs> Just yes. Um, absolutely. It is all three because they're all very different. Mm. Um, you may have some 
some aspects that affect us federally. And we are very, very fortunate. We've worked hard um, and we have a wonderful relationship with Dr. Bill Rivers, who is our advocate and our lobbyist. And he does a lot of work for us on behalf of the language service companies on ALC. I work very closely with this man pretty much every day because there's always something going on. But what does that mean, Susan? It means, yes, he's got a big focus of our federal, but guess what? We have other things that are happening at the state and city level, too. We have things happening in Portland and Michigan and New York and everywhere. And then now you got to break it down to the city levels so that you're also able to work at the state level. So you're also able to represent the federal level. So mm-hmm. what happens at your city level impacts the whole thing. I say get involved. Be involved with your city, state, and federal, and the, the Senate, the House of Representatives, we, I'm in contact with my representatives all the time, Senate and House. No matter what policy, no matter if they're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, I don't care. All that matters to me is that we're educating them about the language industry because chances are they are impacted at some extent as well. What if they had a trip to Canada and they weren't equipped for what to maybe know about in Canada with healthcare? Maybe they... They broke their ankle or something. Mm -hmm. Same thing if people are coming to the U.S. And that's where they need to really hear how much language impacts. Because if they've got somebody coming in from a country where they don't speak English, they need to be able to take care of their broken ankle. Yeah, and that's right. I mean, there's a lot of uh, economic transaction that goes on where language is not the primary. uh, Sorry, English is not the primary language, right? So. And you, and it doesn't matter what level it is, federal or local or state governments. Uh, those needs to, somebody needs to mitigate that barrier of communication uh, right. to right. to build some bridges there. Absolutely um, right. That's why having those constant and consistent conversations is so important. Absolutely. Now, just um, I guess uh, give you the opportunity here to tell us a little bit more about. Uh, liaison multi multilingual services. Like, tell us a little bit about your company. Like, uh, where is it located? What do you offer in terms of services? Um, and if somebody needs to uh, find out a bit more about you, how do they find you? Awesome. Oh, thank you. That's a wonderful opportunity. Um, yes, liaison multilingual. We've been in existence for 25 years, and we are based in Denver, Colorado, um, also in Vail, Colorado. And I am a native Coloradoan, so. I'm very much into the sports industry with our ski slopes and you know other activities. We're big outdoorsy type people. I'm no different. Um, so we do a lot of work with our sports. We also do a lot of work with legal and trans um, education, medical. Um, we pride ourselves on providing and listening to what our clients want to have. And then we want to work with them individually. Every client, we want them to feel as though they are one and only. Um, we do use utilize a lot of software and different technologies because you have to. This day and age, um, we've got a lot going on, right? We've got cat tools. We've got machine translation. And now we have AI. And you want to make sure that you're incorporating them to some extent. But at the end of the day, not every project gets that kind of treatment because that's it, it matters what the client needs. And we have to learn more about what their needs are. We cover everything from American Sign Language to Albanian or Zulu and everything in between. Um, and we just really 
provide a, a lot of, we provide, um, have you heard of HLA? Have you ever heard of that? It's called Health Literacy Advisory. And okay. this is something where um, we need to make things, our, our content read at a sixth grade level. And oh. we provide that type of a service. We also, so you can see making something readability or making something. Readability, but you've mentioned. Right. And 508 compliance, that's something that we also do, which means that the government has a certain requirement where we need to be able to provide documents for somebody who may be um, visually impaired. And so we provide that service. We also include Braille. So we've got a lot of services that we provide and um we, we like to have a personal relationship with each one of our clients. They mean so much to us. And we don't just have it as a transactional. We're partners with our clients. I'm in the process of um, uh, writing a book. And one of the things, one of the things I keep talking about is, um, and I've been thinking about since early days in my career, is that <laughs> transactional, you know, adding to my jobs, right? So that's number four now. Yeah. And so, Another hat. <laughs> adding, you know, adding the layer of that, uh, building the trust between, um, you know, the service provider, have, in, in this case, your company and your customer. And, you know, have, eliminating that uh, idea that it is a transactional relationship. It is not. Uh, because I, I haven't seen in our industry a customer that is in love with try to find a supplier every brand new every day. Not really. They would like eventually to find a supplier that they understand them and they can stay with them and they can adapt to their needs on a day-to-day basis. Well, right. they're, they're not static needs. They're always changing. So adapt to that. Right. How do you manage that? Do you have like a customer service team and um, is it trained? Uh, how do you manage all this? Yes. I mean, we definitely do. But also uh, one thing I'd like to highlight is that much of our work and mo- most of the ways that we have been able to get our clients over the years, and it's the, it's the most um, empathetic, I think, of everything, is our clients recommend us to other people. And that means the world. When they're giving you a referral or a recommendation, there's nothing that's any better than that. But the right. only way that you're going to get there is to make sure that you're building those partnerships, those relationships. If we don't have relationships, we have nothing. And that matters to us. So I want to make sure that I personally, me, myself, that I know my clients, not just my team. Because if if I don't know them, then it does to have a different type of a relationship. And I don't want that. No. So, yeah, it keeps me pretty busy. But I also like to make sure that they know that they matter to us. and. And it goes a long way, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, um, kudos to you and to your team on, uh, you know, realizing the fact that customers are important, customers are valued. And, you know, they, like the business rules 101 is uh, a, if you keep a customer, it's much cheaper for a business than acquiring a new customer. Uh, new customers generally cost you more to onboard, to train, to get your team set up for that. If you have a new, if you have an existing customer building on that relationship, and expanding it uh, from right. a business perspective is more, more profitable. Uh, right, right. Switching That's gears. right, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, Susan. Sure. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion. Um, and I interviewed on this channel uh, uh, Carrie Fisher from Women in Localization, and she's passionate about the topic. I am passionate about the topic. Um, and I also, um, you know, think about, think about this from a two angles. I think about it from... 
diversity inclusion as a standalone topic. And I also think about it from a, an industry that is facilitating, that's enabling diversity and inclusion, inclusion on a global scale. Like the impact this industry have is immense on every angle uh, uh, when it comes to diversity inclusion globally in our local markets and globally. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat ironic that we now have to have something called diversity and inclusion. Isn't it kind of ironic? Because we as an industry don't even think about this because it's in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. We are inclusive. We are welcoming. We do want the diversity. We want to meet people that are speaking languages of lesser diffusion. Everybody is welcome. We don't care what what your background or anything. We just want to meet you and every life matters. And that is what is so big for us, not only as an association, me as a company, but also us as an industry. Mm-hmm. It just seems kind of a, and I guess it makes us more front of mind again, right? With the language access, same thing, because that diversity and inclusion that's exactly who we are as an industry. And so we, again, that's just another tick to make us that front of mind. Absolutely. So how do you um, promote this in ALC and even in your own business? Is there like a programs that you have specific programs for this or um, discussions, um, you know, committees? How do you do that? You know, the biggest thing with ALC is that we are very blessed that we are all over the world. And um, a lot of people are hearing from us because of the way that we've been so accepting and so welcoming and wanting to learn from each other. And I think that the learning from each other, you learn by listening, you learn by sharing, you learn by, you know, having these types of dialogues and people are drawn to that. And then you start meeting other cultures and other languages and um, everybody's coming in. We welcome everybody. You don't need an American company to become a member, right? You, you can be a member, it doesn't matter, or is that what I'm hearing? Or uh, I'm sorry, could you recl- recl- Yeah, I was just recl- wondering, recl- do you need to be a based in the U.S. to become no. a member of ALC, or you can be a member, it doesn't matter which country you're from? You because can- my follow-up question, because there's a lot of cus- a lot of our audience uh, are not from um, this continent, and they probably would like to come and do business in this continent by, you know, becoming a member of ALC. Is that a possibility? Sure. Absolutely. It's a possibility. In fact, it's already happening. We have people from the UAE that are members, Canada, Lithuania, Mexico, Argentina, uh, China, Japan, name a country. We have got it uh, represented. So we are very, very diverse. Welcome. you. Everybody's welcome. Please, if you are a language service company, and we do use that as a term because the term LSP does get a little bit confusing because an LSP can be anybody. It can be a translator, an interpreter, or a company. But an LSC is a language service company, and yep. that's who we are. We are the Association of Language Service Companies. So please come and join us. Yes, all you need to do is uh, go to info at alcus.org and Allison or Mariana would be happy to get you uh, some information, help help you get become a member. Um, but our website is www.alcus.org. And we would love to meet you and love to have you. And yes, everybody is welcome, no matter where you are in the great planet. I encourage our audience to uh, listen to Susan's advice, go onto their website <laughs> and uh, become a member. Uh, it's truly an, an encouraging and empowering conversation that we're having this morning, uh, 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 Susan, in terms of 
the openness, the open arms that you're expressing here for everybody is welcome. Everybody can be a member, can be a partner mm-hmm. in your in your cause and help drive this industry forward. It doesn't matter their location. Uh, that's very admirable. Thank, thank you for put, putting that out there. Yes, okay. yes, and 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 to your point, Robin. You know, we we aren't just translators and translating and interpreting companies. We're language schools. We're training. We've got a diverse group of us. Um, and all the time, new technologies, new services become available. They are also joining the association. So, you know, don't just think if you're not a translator and interpreter, you're not welcome. You are. Come on and join us. <laughs> Thank you so yes. much. Yes. Now, let's, you know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation uh, about uh, some of the tools that your company is using. And mm-hmm. this, these tools are uh, software or AI or chat GPT, etc., Mm-hmm. Um, large language models. So mm-hmm. in terms of uh, take that, if you don't mind, extrapolate it on an industry level, um, where do you, what's your opinion on all the uh, new tools and everybody now with the new tools, like a, a kid with a new toy, I guess, mm-hmm. everybody gets excited about it. But mm-hmm. we have to decipher, in my opinion, and I, I've had mm-hmm. uh, uh, Jay Marciano on, on, on my podcast here, who doesn't, who, who don't know Jay is the uh, president of the, um, uh, the uh, Machine Transition Association for the Americas. Mm-hmm. And we had a chat about this one. And, um, you know, there are a lot of ideas around uh, the technology itself, where it started and how the evolution is taking place. And uh, we still think, him and I and a few others, we still think a human will be in the middle for many years to come uh, because for various reasons. Um, the industry, the market may shift, Mm-hmm. But for many reasons, we still need uh, people to either program, drive, quality check, whatever the function may be down the road, but we still need a human in the middle. This not will, will not be an app you would download and then poof, everything is done. Uh, I don't think, at least uh, from my perspective. How about your views? Where do you see this going? Well, I am embracing the technology. Um, we've been through this song and dance before. So... AI is just another, you know, another uh, what a partner that we're going to be dancing with. So we've, I remember when Trados first came out, and yes, that was the name, Trados, in the very, very beginning. Oh, my gosh, the whole world's coming to an end. This is replacing us. And then it didn't. And then we were able to utilize it and enhance our efficiency. And then machine translation came out. And that same, same type thing. Now we have AI. Yes, it's it's something we want to embrace. It's something we want to welcome. And we want to utilize it. Smart. That's right. We've got to use it in a smart fashion. It doesn't mean that we give it to AI and now our projects are just finished for us. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we can utilize the tools where we can. You have to have the human element, no matter what. Albert Einstein once said that technology one day would surpass human interaction and generate a generate create a generation of idiots. We do not want to be idiots. So <laughs> we want to utilize our software and our technology and not become idiots. So I think by utilizing it and have letting it have its place and letting it utilize it where it's needed is fine. We always have to have the human element. We mm-hmm. are people that are meant, our, it's in our DNA as humans that mm-hmm. we need to interact. You don't want to lose that. Mm-hmm. And 
So we will continue to use that. Think about culture changes all the time. Our diversity, yes, it's changing. Language changes. We want to welcome those in and utilize them as we can. So again, we're not going anywhere. We humans are going to be in every component of this, but we just want to use utilize it in the way that makes the most sense for whatever situation we're in. I think, you know, I mean, this is just my uh, personal opinion, and mm-hmm. I think I've expressed this before. I think there's uh, two reasons or two causes for the excitement around technology. One mm-hmm. is there are so much content now being created and we don't have enough translators to do the work. So, um, you know, if you look at, take a look at academia, universities, et cetera, and you take a look at how many people are graduating in the linguistic degrees and you say, okay, well, uh, I need, you know, X, X becomes the population of the world probably to translate the amount of content we're creating because facilitating content generation and with the tools, I'm not talking about AI generated content at this point. No, I'm just talking about, the ability to generate content in this day and age, just using the regular method, you know, you're able to type, you're able to right. create small posts on social media, etc. Right. Translating that immense amount of content requires a lot more hands than we currently have, a lot more uh, individuals that we currently have in the traditional way of doing it. So right. the delta, in my opinion, needs to be filled, that gap, that mm-hmm. uh, capacity that we currently have and the capacity that we need in the future that delta needs to be filled with something. And this is where technology is coming to play a role. And it's helping. It's helping the uh, service providers, us. And it's also helping the customer who has the insatiable ability to find ways to save dollars or save money in trying to grab on to any new technology that can, A, do it cheaper, faster. And and then I'm not going to talk about quality because it's very hard for customers who don't speak the language to judge quality. Um, it, it, if they can speak the language or can read the language, comprehend it, fine. But in a lot of cases, people are translating for one reason, because they don't understand the language. Right. Uh, if you understand it, that you don't need to translate. So in my opinion, you know, take there are several examples. The uh, One of the examples that was published on Slater, I guess, not too long ago, uh, the YouTube personality, Mr. Beast, who got tired of, you know, having translation companies dictate to him how much it kind of cost him to do a YouTube video translation. So he went and opened his own company, AI-based, uh, to do to do the work. Um, again, that's an indicating indication of capacity, right? Capacity issues. So that's my personal opinion on the matter. And the uh, uh and our idea of, you know, I, I feel like our industry should not be the one receiving the technology and saying, okay, I gotta have how do I deal with this? I think our industry should be innovative enough to come up with those solutions and don't let somebody from outside the industry come in and tell them, okay, well, here's your new AI now, you got to use it. Right. And, and this is where our industry could use a little bit of a prodding, if you will, to create some innovation. I don't know, my personal opinion. <laughs> no, I think it's really important for us as an industry to, it, it's up to us to educate. We need to educate our clients. We need to educate each other. We need yeah. there's a big part of this and we're learning too. Um, This is, I've got a couple of things, if you don't mind, I just, a couple of ideas of things that are happening with ALC, for example, we have ALC bridge, which is an, an area where we provide the gap or the bridge, if you will, from people that are in school wanting to have a, a, a career in the language industry. Does it mean that they have to know a language? doesn't. 
It means they might could be doing IT. They could be doing marketing, but it would be for the market or for the language industry. And so this is where we're working very closely with universities and students who want to know more about our industry. And so that they're seeing now that they have an opportunity to do an internship or even find job postings for the industry. So ALC Bridges definitely has that going on. But also with ALC, we've got webinars, roundtables. One of my favorite events that we have is our unconference. That's where we would sit and have conversations just like this, Robin, where we are talking about AI. We're talking about how are you incorporating this into your business? But this is where we're having a roundtable discussion and we're speaking very candidly, very openly about right. ideas and ways that we might be able to incorporate this into our workflow. But even more importantly, how we're educating our public. Because as we're learning, we need to make sure that everybody understands that message as well. It right. has its place. And we're going to, to, to take the dance. What we want to make sure that we're doing is that we're including our customers and the rest of the population in those dialogues. So, um, yeah, these conversations need to happen. They, we have to continue having them. They're important. And we are the ones that know how this impacts our industry. So we need to be the ones to express yeah. that. Uh, the other way for, the, for the audience, I had the pleasure of uh, playing around with uh, ALC Bridge uh, uh, a little bit. Uh, I was given a demo on this, and it, to be honest with you, it's fascinating and it's a great job. You guys have a great Thank initiative you. there to connect Thank between resources. They're looking to get into the industry and the uh, people in the industry that they're maybe looking for talents. Uh, we all scream about human resources, lack and talents in, in the industry and trying to attract them to the industry. Uh, this is a great initiative. For those of you who do not know ALC Bridge, just Google the uh, ALC Bridge and you'll find out the link. Uh, go check it out. It's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we've got quite a committee. Kathleen Diamond has been leading that charge and has been doing a great, great job with it. So thank you. Yeah. If you've got a university, you know, we all, if you've been to school and you want to represent your alma mater, I know my alma mater, University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, we're represented very well. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're grabbing as many universities and partnering with you as we possibly can. So please, you know, join us because we want to make sure that we are creating that pipeline for the future of the industry. Absolutely. Uh, and it's an industry, again, as we mentioned earlier, sustainable industry. It's been around for 10,000 years since the beginning of time, and it will continue mm-hmm. on for as for as many years as well. So, um Going back to, uh, you know, uh, the support that ALC gives or try to give to or educate uh, their members, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the business aspect of running a language uh, service company. Mm-hmm. And so one of the main thing, I guess, every business, you know, this is pretty basic, is uh, data, you know, mm-hmm. uh, KPIs, uh, market data, uh, you know, evolution of the market associated to the data that, so we can develop services, um, those types of things. How do you handle that to give your members a bit of a radar screen, if you will, on how A, they need to manage their business and B, the evolution? And and I'll, I'll, I have a subsequent question for this, but I'll let you answer this one first. Okay. Um, we don't tell them how to do their businesses. That's up to them how they want to handle their businesses. But we are resources for each other. So when somebody posts something about or in our communication channel about 
what KPIs do you track? Mm-hmm. What tool do you use to track? You're going to get a lot of other company members that are chiming in and it creates this discussion around what that looks like. And then if, let's say you, Robin, because you're the person with whom I'm having a conversation today, let's say you were one of the people that were wondering about this very topic, maybe you would want to talk a little bit more than what's happening in the communication channel. And maybe I've said something that kind of spurred something or an idea or something in your mind. You could just reach out to me and then we can take it offline and we can have those types of conversations. So um, because then maybe I'm able to mentor you a little bit or help you a little bit about some ideas of what you might want to try. So what happens is a lot of times we're seeing these kinds of discussions taking place or we're having these different discussions. And that's what's making the conversation go to the next level then, because people want to take that to another level and incorporate in their businesses. Our, one of our things at ALC, we want to help you grow. We want to help our businesses grow to the next levels. If you wanting to take on a new uh, service or go to a new country, you know, we are a wealth of information. We'd love to help you get there. Mm-hmm. Now, my sub question is around developing services and have you seen a uh, a trend, or if there is one, I don't know. Have you seen a trend in your market of language service companies offering services that perhaps not directly related to languages? For instance, you know, I, I call it the um, you know the uh, the content lifecycle, if you will, uh, when content is created. Um, take an example, whatever you whatever you like in that in that word, website, book, whatever. And then people spend a lot of time and money creating that content. And just before, before they go to publishing or somebody needs to consume that content, they realize oh, that we need to put it in another language. So we send it to the language service companies to translate it. So million dollars spent on creating the content, language company gets $5,000 to translate it, and the publishing companies takes the rest of the money. So the piece of the pie from a language perspective has been either shrinking or small to begin with. Now, in terms of how much it costs to create a content. Now, a lot of companies, and I'm hoping, and I'm assuming some of your members are creating other services, you know, create, you know, go up the food chain and start offering the content, which brings me to the question, A, have are they doing it? And how many of them are they offering services related to content? And B, the second part of my question, are we moving toward, and that's a 100,000 foot level question, are we moving toward a knowledge uh, uh, base industry, which we are part of, versus being a localization industry by offering other services that relates to knowledge. I think we already are the knowledge base industry. Um, we represent that all the time when we are working on our advocacy, that we are in the knowledge base industry. We're not gig, we're, we are knowledge base. We have to have the expertise of doctors and lawyers. Yes, that's where I see us going to more of that type of a of a service offering um, that we will be pricing our jobs very similar to how doctors and lawyers are doing theirs, because we are providing much more than just language Mm -hmm. and being just by the word isn't going to. I think it's on the short term. I think we're going there pretty quickly. And I see us being more of that service um, co- type of a contract as opposed to just something where we're doing just by the word or even 
um, interpreting is is also change, changing and drastically. I mean, before COVID, people, what's this remote thing, you know? And now, look, at it's like a big part of what we're doing. And we pivoted very well. But mm-hmm. I do because we're becoming much more in front of mind for different people that are creating content or having opportunities for language access. Yes, mm-hmm. we're becoming very different and much more of a service that we're offering. And then it covers a lot of different capabilities in that service that we're offering, not just translation or interpreting, much more. Absolutely. Well, uh, look, I mean, we're coming up on the hour. I uh, First, I want to ask you, how did you find the conversation? Oh, this was fun. <laughs> I had a great time. Thank you so much. No, this is uh, something we're passionate about, or at least I am, and I know I you are too. So, you know, you're not letting you off the hook. No, I've had a fabulous time. I recommend this for everybody. Thank you so much for such a wonderful opportunity. It has just been a great way to kick off the day. Nothing like a little coffee talk with That's right. to kick off the day. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. I want to uh, thank our guest, uh, Susan Amarino, for being with me uh, today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Susan, welcome back to the channel anytime. You have a, something to share or you just want to drop by and say hello, uh, you're always welcome. Please consider it your channel as much as it's ours collectively. And uh, I can't wait to perhaps uh, see you uh, in September. In- I look forward to seeing you in September. No matter what, I'll see you in September. No matter what. Um, just uh thank you so much again and uh, look forward to continue our conversation in the future thank you susan a lot more to talk about thank you so much for having me again robin have a great rest of your day thanks you too thank you